Hey, how many of you are um, college basketball fans? How many of you are college basketball fans? Six of you. That's awesome. This is going to be this is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to tell you this story now. Actually, I'm not a college basketball fan. Uh, I'm a Mar- March Madness sort of jump in when it starts to get interesting fan. You know what I mean? At some point, it'll actually get interesting, and that's when I go in. So how many of you saw the national championship? How many of you saw Kansas versus North Carolina? Historic, right? Two, two historic programs. It was the craziest game, um, that I, I, college basketball for sure, that I've ever seen. So in the first half, North Carolina beat the daylights out of Kansas. I mean, just embarrassed them. They had like 22, 23 points in the whole first half. And they were down something like 16 points in the first half. And so the commentators after, I'm like, listen, this, no team has ever come back from this deficit in a championship game in the history of college basketball. It's never happened. And so this team, if they even double their score, they'll barely catch up with what the other team has. And so you come out of halftime and you think, man, you know, they don't even have a chance. How would they even try? And they did try. And then they kind of got a three, and then they got another basket, then they sort of got a turnover, and it just started, and I'm sitting there watching it going, uh-oh, uh-oh, really, could it? Could it happen? And then as the game went on, it's like a heavyweight fight. They're just trading punches, you know. The game's like two points apart, three points apart, one team leads, the other team leads, North Carolina comes back, then Kansas comes back. I mean, it is, it is so close. Let me tell you how close it was. You might have heard this. If you followed it, you might have heard this number. Each team had possession of the ball for, for exactly 18 minutes and 32 seconds each. They split possession time perfectly in the game. And then if you probably know if you've been watching. And at the end of the game, Kansas held on, won the game, and they set the record no team has ever come back in a championship game from that far behind at halftime or for an entire game. And so they own the championship. They own a piece of history now in college football. Uh, college basketball, sorry. I'm already, you know, I'm, I'm already there. I'm already, when's the spring game? I'm already ready. Like I'm a fan of football. You know, I just kind of play with basketball. So in a very um, more serious way, This is how I feel every year when I read the Easter story when it gets to the point where Jesus is arrested. Because it just goes back and forth and you think, oh, he's going to get, they're going to let him go this time. You know, like I know the end, but you know, they're going to let him go. Because it seemed, the tension is so real. It seems so close. Uh, Pilate, you know, it's like Pilate's doing, who's the governor, we'll talk about him, like doing everything he can do to kind of let Jesus go because he doesn't really want to deal with it. And then the, the crowd keeps pushing back. And because of political pressure and his, he really following his own self-interest, in the end he can't do it. But the tension is palpable. I mean, it's so real. I get sucked in every year. And, I, and even though I know the end, and I think, man, it was, it was so, there was such a moment where you think he's going to be free. No, he's not going to be free. He's going to be free. No, he's going to be free. And then so Pilate finally says, okay, listen, I know you guys want to kill him, but we're not going to kill him. I'll just go beat him real bad. Okay, how about that? Then he brings him back out half beaten and they go, is that good enough? And the crowd's like, no, that's not good enough. And so he's doing everything he can do to kind of take the path of least resistance and placate the crowd. And uh, in the end of the day, you know, they just wouldn't have it. 
So um, Pilate is an interesting character. We've been talking in this series for weeks about these conversations that Jesus had with people while he was on earth, these powerful conversations. You know, sometimes people say, man, I wish Jesus was here and I could just ask him a question. Well, we actually have written accounts of people who met Jesus when he was actually here in person physically, and they did have conversations with him. And that's what we've been doing is listening in on these conversations for this series. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus' conversation with Pilate. On Good Friday, um, we're going to talk about Jesus' conversation with the Apostle Peter when the Apostle Peter says, no, you can't go be crucified. You know, that's not going to work. Uh, Of course, you know how that ended. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about Jesus' conversation with the thief on the cross. Uh, And so it's going to be a a powerful time. But for today, we're talking about Pilate. And um, just to kind of help you understand who Pilate was, Pilate was a Roman governor. He was uh, very powerful over a large city. He had about 5,000 soldiers under his command. So he had a a lot of brute force. He had a lot of power. He had a lot of authority. He was a consummate uh, politician, uh, and he was the guy that wanted to take the path of least resistance. Now, um, unlike all the other conversations that we've talked about, this one is the most complicated. It's the most complex. Um, And so uh, we can't really do, we can do deep in this setting. We can't do complex. You know, when it takes 100 pages of a book to get you to the beginning point, and you go, oh, wow, that was a lot. Well, we can't, I can't do the whole conversation. It's just too complicated. But what I want to do is really narrow in on one part of the conversation, uh, and, there's, and there's a lot more that it would be great for you to go and read and get the rest of it. But here's how it starts. The Pharisees brought Jesus to Pilate, uh, the Bible says, very early in the morning. And so you kind of get the impression that they, they woke him up. So you've got this um, high-level governor, this man of authority, ruling a large city. He's got a lot of power. He's got a full schedule. Um, He's Roman, who had uh, enslaved, more or less, had had, uh, taken in captivity all the Jews. And so the Jewish leaders come to him, and they're kind of sideline people. The Romans don't really care about them. They're a nuisance more than anything. So they wake him up. So here's uh, Pilate, you know, brought out by these Jewish people knocking on his door early in the morning. Uh, I just, how I picture him, he's kind of sitting there with bad hair. You know what I mean? He just got out of bed. He's standing in his chacos. He's got a little cup of papaya juice, and he's thinking, this better be good because I'm an important guy. I got a lot of authority, and I got not much time. I'm a busy guy, so what's going on? Let's get on with it. And what he's looking for is the quickest way to resolve this. So what I want to do is I want to actually kind of give you the interaction, the conversation, and then pull some thoughts from it that I think will help us. So John 18, 33, Pilate then went back inside. So you know they woke him up, and he went back inside. He went inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? So what's he, what's he doing? He's just trying to cut through all the stuff, and he's trying to get to the bottom line. Hey, are you the king of the Jews? Are, 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 you, are you a threat to Rome? Are you a threat to my authority? That's what he's asking. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says, listen, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Don't you love when people answer a question with a question? What Jesus is trying to figure out is, do you want to know the truth? 
Or do you have a different reason for asking about me? That's what Jesus is doing. Verse 35. Pilate says, am I a Jew? Am I a Jew? Your own people. Like, look, this wasn't my idea. Your people and your leaders and your chief priests and all of them, they handed you over to me. What have you done? In other words, what are we doing here? Like, I want to finish my juice. I haven't even read the morning news. You know, I, 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 he's not interested. So basically he's saying, how do I know? How do I know? What you, I'm, I'm not a Jew. Your people brought you here. Your leaders brought you here. Pilate distrusted and despised the Jews. And what he's basically saying is, I don't care about your people. I don't care about you. I'm busy. What are you doing here? Now watch this. What he's asking is, what are you doing in my palace? Jesus' answer is, let me tell you what I'm doing on earth. It's two different conversations. Listen to Jesus. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Like, wait, 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 wait. What are you doing in my patio here, man? I, I, you know? And Jesus' answer is, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. Can I tell you, there are so many implications in this story for leadership and politics and everything else, and we can't even go into most of them. This, th- Jesus is saying, I would not have stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Can I just bridge the gap for you? Because he's saying, my servants will not fight. To prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm going to prove to you, my, here's another big, I'm going to prove to you that my kingdom is from another place. Now, by the way, my followers act. I wonder if people can tell that Jesus is a different kind of leader by the way that you and I act. There's a lot, like we can't even go there. Like I don't even have to, that's what I'm doing the point. But it's a good one, isn't it? So I want you to notice now how, um, how Pilate has selective hearing. Okay? Never mind you just said you're from another world. <laughs> Never mind you said you're an alien from another world. <laughs> You see this? Never mind you said you're building a kingdom not of this world. He's got selective hearing. Listen to what Pilate says. Pilate says, oh, you're a king. That's all he heard. You are a king. Okay, let me get my soldiers. You're a king. I knew it. You're a king, Pilate said. Pilate's having a political and a very shallow conversation on a very surface level and Jesus takes the conversation deeper again. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. Actually in the Greek, if you read that, it's a little more forceful and it sounds a little more like, you're right, I'm a king. Okay, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Man, that is, that's a bold statement. Ultimately, Pilate was a failed leader because he refused to listen to the truth. All right, last verse, 38. Pilate answers, what is truth? What is truth? 
With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis of charge against him. What is truth? What a great question. Never in history has there been a more relevant question than in a time where everyone thinks they have their own truth. What? What is truth? I just wish the question would have been sincere. It wasn't. I'll show you that in a minute. Let me give you three thoughts, okay, from this conversation. It's possible to deeply experience the truth and be unaware of it. It's possible to deeply experience the truth and be unaware. Pilate actually missed two moments of truth, or two truths. He missed a moment of truth, and he missed an eternal truth. The moment of truth that he missed is that, let's forget for a minute we're talking about Jesus. Let's just say this is, you know, you know no, no, John Doe here, okay? What he missed is, is John Doe's innocent. He's dealing with an innocent man. I mean, in the conversation, we don't go far enough to see the end of it. But in the end of it, he turns the innocent man over to people who were wrong. He has authority. It's his job to enact justice. He didn't enact justice because it was inconvenient for him. And so he missed it. He missed the truth. He didn't stand for truth. He didn't stand for justice. He let an innocent person be crucified to death because it was easier for him. Because it was more politically expedient for him. So he missed the moment of truth. Now look, that's the smaller truth. That's crazy. That's a heavy truth. That's the smaller truth. You know, you know what happens to us? When we twist the smaller truths, we have a harder time seeing the bigger truths. And let me tell you the bigger truth. The bigger truth was this innocent man wasn't John Doe. He was Jesus. The eternal, the invisible, the immortal God pre-incarnate, before the foundation of the world. He was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, standing, looking at him in his chacos with his papaya juice, staring at him from eternity. This was, this was just not any guy. This was Jesus, and he had come to earth in a human form. He was God in a human form, and Pilate missed it. Is it possible that you and I sometimes deeply encounter the truth and miss it? When I was a, a, a teenager, I, through a dramatic thing, I found Jesus at about 15. And about 16 or 17, um, I began to feel this deep inner conflict in my life. Because um, I grew up in a home that wasn't really open to new ideas. And as, as God would have it in his own divine way, I ended up growing up in a Christian school. Not necessarily because it was Christian, but because it was a, the best option we had. But in that school, there were men and women of faith who taught me things about Jesus that I had never heard. And then I would come home and talk about those, and those ideas weren't. Those ideas began to come into direct conflict with the family environment I was raised in. And so, at about late 16, 17 years old, this conflict just bubbled up into complete confusion. And I, I was so confused and I was so overwhelmed. I remember uh, being at church one night and we had a prayer time and I went for prayer and I just found a little corner by myself 
over in the side of the building where I didn't think anybody could see me. And I was over there just kneeling on the steps and I was praying and I was saying, God, I'm so confused. So much of what I've been taught doesn't agree with what I'm learning and I don't know how to make sense out of it. I don't know how to reconcile it. And it, ju- it just became an extraordinary weight on my life. And I was praying and praying and saying, God, help me, show me, do something. And um, this older man came and put his hand on my shoulder. Now, remember, I'm, I'm a young Christian. I'm not praying out loud. I'm just kind of in turmoil. <laughs> and this older man came and put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, God, I pray that you would show him the truth. I pray right now that you'd give a, him a revelation. And, and, It was such a powerful moment. Something changed in me in that moment. Something lifted and something released. And I remember, because I couldn't recognize his voice. I went to a small church, and I couldn't recognize his voice. So when he left, I turned around to look to see who it was. And I, I never saw that man before, and I never saw him again. I don't know who it was. But somehow God sent that man in that moment in my life to try to relieve the pressure that I was feeling and, and, to, and to find the truth in Jesus. When is the last time you went to God and you said, God, I pray that you would wash away all the prejudice in my life. I pray that you would uncover the bias in my life. I pray that you would um, wash away the preconceived ideas that I have that I've gotten from wherever I've gotten them from that don't agree with you. Lord, I pray that you would uproot the lies that have been planted in my mind from who knows when by the enemy, and I pray that you'd help me to see. Because there's something that's powerful that happens When we say, God, show me the truth. I want to see the truth. I want to know the truth. I wish that um, when Pilate said, what is truth, I wish he was sincere. But he wasn't sincere. And that gives us our second thought. Truth is not an object to be held, but a person to be encountered. In these short couple chapters, uh, if you read it all, you'll find the word king. Over 12 times. King. Over 12 times. And what we're hearing, and are you the king of the Jews? You said I was a king, you know. And what you're hearing in this story is there is a revelation of truth. There's a great revelation of truth. And the great revelation of truth in that moment was Jesus is king. That was the revelation. Over 12 times. We want the truth to be something that we hold. We don't want the truth to be something that holds us. Because we're so used. We want the information. We want the knowledge. We want the data. We want the research. We want the degree. We want the program. We want the information. But information and truth are two different things. You can have the information and not know the truth. You can have the facts and not know the truth. (laughs) Facts and truth are two different things. And that's where Pilate was getting hung up. And we, we, are, we are living in a time where we have unlimited access to information more than you and I can process even in a day. And we wonder why anxiety is up. It's up because we're trying to process things that we were never intended to process. One person is not intended to endure all the tragedy that's happening in the entire world and grieve it all. We were not intended to try to solve every problem in the world. We were not intended to be an expert in every field on earth. But the information that's coming at us is not making us deeper people. It's making us more shallow people. 
and therefore more calloused to the truth. To truth. What if the truth isn't a set of facts that you know? What if the truth is a person that you encounter? What if the truth is a person that will set you free? John 14, 6, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said something just like this. He said, I am the way. Does he say, I am a truth? I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you understand how how crazy these statements are? Do you understand how unsettling they are, how bold they are, how big they are? They were huge to them, but they're also huge in our day. For someone to say Jesus is the only way to God, that's controversial. Like that'll get you on late night TV. You know what I mean? that'll, that'll, That'll blow the internet up. Jesus is the only way to God. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus is the one that said it. See, I'm saying these conversations aren't lightweight. These conversations aren't surface. These conversations aren't little. He's speaking to Roman power. And he's saying, hey, my guys aren't going to fight. They don't want your throne. They don't want your palace. They don't want your Lexus. They don't even want your papaya juice. They're building a kingdom that you don't know anything about. And they're building it centered in the person of Jesus. And Caesar's not king. Jesus is king. It's a whole different way of thinking. So Jesus is king, listen to this, is the greatest truth. And all other truths, here's what Jesus was saying, all other truths are subject to that truth. All other truths. All other facts. All other information is subject to that truth. So, if Jesus is the only way to God, to know the truth, you have to start with Jesus. So, let me just give you a practical thought. If you're having trouble finding truth, if you're having trouble finding God, if you're having trouble finding, finding or connecting with God, Okay, let me give you some very simple things that you could do. Here's one, do something Jesus did. If you're having trouble connecting with God, start with Jesus. If you're having trouble finding truth, start with Jesus. How do you start with Jesus? Do something Jesus did. What did Jesus did? Jesus prayed, he served, he, he reached out, he um, built, built uh, community, he, um, he withdrew to lonely places so he could pray. Here's something else you could do. Find something Jesus said. You know, people say, man, I've n- never heard God speak to me. If you can't hear him speak to you, read what he wrote. He wrote it. So find something Jesus said. You can get a Bible where all his words are in red letters. Go and read them all. And that'll, or read some of them. Read one of them. That'll help you find Jesus. Here's, an, here's another idea. Find something Jesus made. Man, study um, biology or botany or astronomy. Um, Plant a flower. Sit by a lake. Go outside at night and look at the sky. Jesus' fingerprints are all over creation because he was there when it was made. And so if you want to find truth, if you want to find, connect with God, do that. Here's the last one. Remember something Jesus has done. 
Go into scripture and find some event that Jesus did and just study it and reflect on it and pray about it and meditate on it or, or remember something that Jesus has done in your life or someone that you know, some event that you go, we, uh, my uh, boys and I were talking this week about a couple things that we saw God do. We went, hey, look, there's no other explanation. <laughs> there is no other logical, rational, scientific explanation for that. Find one of those and go back to that and talk about that and think about that. And that's where you're going to begin to find Jesus because that's where he's working. Jesus is the king and that's the greatest truth. Here's the last thought. Jesus' followers listen to Jesus. You know Pilate's biggest problem was that he didn't listen. He didn't. He was selective listening. He said, oh, so you are a king. He was listening with a certain perspective. Look at uh, verse 37 again when Jesus said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You're talking about controversial. <laughs> Jesus is saying, if you don't listen to me, you're not on the side of truth. Man, that is not, that is not let's all be friends kind of conversation. Jesus is saying either you listen to me, you're on the side of truth, or you don't listen to me, you don't What didn't show up in this conversation was Pilate's wife actually had a dream. And she had a dream about Jesus, who she had never met, or we don't think she had met. And she was so disturbed by the dream, she sent a message to Pilate and said, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. Because this dream I had about this whole situation has stirred me up so much, don't have anything to do with him. And you know what Pilate did? He didn't listen. God's talking to him through his wife's dream. God's talking to him through Jesus, God in a human body looking directly at him, and he's not listening. He's not hearing. He's not listening. Maybe it sounded too ordinary. I don't know. But it does beg the question, what does it mean to listen? Man, that is such an important question because there's never been a time in history that we're worse at it. Husbands and wives don't listen to each other. Teens and parents don't listen to each other. Friends don't listen to each other. Republicans and Democrats. Do I even got to finish that? We live in a world where everybody's broadcasting, but nobody's listening. And you know what we miss when we don't listen? Deep truth. We miss deep truth. Not facts, not information. Yeah, 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 I got it. Not knowledge. We miss deep truth. So what does it mean to listen? Well, I want to, there's a bunch of ways to think about it, I'm sure. But this morning, I want to give you five levels of listening, okay? We'll just blitz through them pretty quick. Because what I really want to do is get you the last one. The first level of listening is ignoring. I can explain this one so clearly and so quickly it's kind of like this. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I just, I just got to tap this. I just got to, no, I got, yeah, I'm out here. What? What'd you say? No, I heard you. No, I'm, no, I'm good. Hold on. Yeah. Hold, uh, hang on just a second. What? Yeah, no, no, I'm listening. Seriously. Ignoring is you're really not important to me. And then the, the second level of listening is volleying. And uh, there's a lot of different words you could use for these, but here's the basic idea. Volleying means I'm listening because I'm listening for you to stop talking so I can start talking. You, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, 
like I'm waiting for you to stop so I can tell you a story that happened to me that's kind of like the story that you're telling. I can't wait for you to stop so I can tell you my story. Well, that's not very good, is it? Then the third one is judging, and that's probably kind of a harsh word. It doesn't really mean like I'm judging you. What it means is I'm judging the circle, like I'm, I'm getting the big picture. I'm getting the big idea. I'm listening, and I'm kind of understanding where you're coming. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got I don't, you know, you don't have to keep going. You don't have to tell any more of the fact. You don't have to give any more story. I got it, I got it. Here's what you need to do. Yeah, I don't, I don't need any more context. I've, what, if, what if I had two minutes of your story now? I'm sure that's plenty. Here, let me tell you what to do. I know you've lived for 40 years or 20 years or 30 years or whatever, but, uh, and you've summarized in two minutes what's going on. Let me just go ahead and tell you what you need to do. I got the, I got the big idea. That's kind of judging listening. And then there's applying. And, uh, and these get a little better <laughs> as you go, but the applying kind of listening says this. Um, I'm listening... I'm not listening to you, I'm listening for facts. I'm listening for insights. I'm listening for information <clears throat> that I can apply to my own life. I'm not listening to build a relationship with you. I'm just listening because I know there's eventually there's something good you're going to have to say, and I'm going to grab it and I'm going to apply it to my life. Which is not really listening either, is it? Okay. So the, the fifth level, the highest level, is empathizing. And here's what it says. I'm going to do everything in my power to put myself in your skin. And to think what it might feel like and what it might be like to be you. I'm going to do everything I can do. And in fact, I'm going to do it to such a degree I'm going to surrender my agenda in the conversation and take on a new agenda. My new agenda is you. So I'm not going to ignore you. I'm not going to be waiting to tell you a story. I'm not going to be trying to analyze and summarize and figure out what, what you really need to do. And I'm not even going to be looking for insights that I can apply to my own life. Matter of fact, nothing that's going to happen in the next few minutes is about me at all. I'm just going to listen to you. And regardless of how you say it or what you say, I'm not going to try to hear your words. I'm going to try to hear you. I'm going to try to hear the things that you might not even know how to say, but if I listen long enough, I can read between the lines and I can hear. That's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to hear. So I want you to imagine for a minute if we were to apply that to God. I want you to imagine for a minute in your relationship with God, your journey with God, your questions about God, your however close or far away you are. I want you to imagine for a moment that you said to him, God, right now I'm not going to come and you know, claim any scripture and I'm not going to come and tell you anything and I'm not going to come today to pour, pour my heart out. I'm not going to come to um, ask you to fix anything or ask you to change anything. I'm not even coming today to ask you for insight. What I'm actually coming to do is to give my agenda up and to say, Lord, my agenda is your agenda. When Jesus did it, it sounded something like this, not my will be done, but yours. <laughs> Imagine if we were to come to him and say, God, I'm, this actually isn't about me, it's about you.
And today, I open my ears and I open my eyes and I open my heart. And I'm not asking you to come and get on the same page with me at all. I'm asking you to help me to get on the same page with you. And I surrender. You know what would happen when we do that, maybe even you know, more than once, is we put ourselves in a posture where we can receive deep truth. We put ourselves in a posture where God, where God is heard. Where God is heard. And when God is heard, <laughs> things change. Right? Would you stand with me this morning? If you're online with us right now, our prayer team is there and um, they've been praying for you. What they'd really like to do is pray with you. And if you need prayer today, I want to ask you to just jump over there in the comment section now or anytime during this song and let our prayer team pray with you. Maybe there's something that God's calling you to surrender or to hear or to give up. And would you all online and in person, would you just close your eyes for a moment? Lord, we just, um, we surrender. I don't want to be Pilate. <laughs> I don't want to not hear. I don't want to not see the truth that's in front of me. You, you made bold, bold claims, huge claims. And they really do cause us to wrestle. They cause inner conflict inside of us. God, today I ask you to draw us to yourself that that inner conflict might be resolved. <laughs> that that inner tension might, might be sheltered up underneath the reign of Jesus as King. Lord, in, in these next few minutes, we ask you to help us to surrender. We ask you to help us to lay down the things that we need to lay down so that you might not just be king of the universe, but you might actually be our king. Amen. As we sing this song, I want to ask you just to have an open posture and let the Holy Spirit speak to you and let the Holy Spirit emphasize things and direct you and guide you and Let's just see what God wants to do in your life today, okay? The worship team's coming.